0: This is our second session of uh, Hunt the Book of Book of Transactions. Let's do a quick review of what we have taken last week. Uh, what is the name of the author of this book? Tell me his name. Name of the author of this book. His full name. Anybody? Full name of the author of this book. Uh, nobody knows? Uh, at least give me something. Our brothers. said last week, I know some of you guys know but, him wrong, Should I pick out some of them? Ahmed ibn Hussein. Ahmed ibn Hussein? Al Asfahari. What was <laughs> kunya? How long did he live for? How long did he live for? 460 <gasps> 160 years. For 160 years? In quotations. Alright, that's what they say 160 years. But in reality, he lived over, Allahu Alaihi Wasallam, but he lived past the year 500. As the student, Al Sira fi al the he mentions. we mentioned that all transactions are three types. All right. What's the first type? Yeah. Uh, transaction where you see what's being sold to you. You see, you see it right in front of you. That is a valid transaction. What's the second type? You don't see it, but it's described to you. Like all online uh, are selling, all right? It's described, right? You can see a picture of it and details of description. All right, that's, also, that's also valid, all right? And there's a type called Asenim that we spoke about last week. And Asenim has its own chapter that will be coming to Shalom in the future. What is the third type? The third type. You okay. Something you don't see is something that hasn't been described. All right? And that is not allowed. You have to at the very least describe the products. Or these are the three types. You also said that al Buyu is divided and categorized into three as well. Another three categories from a different aspect. Remind me, and that is usually dealing with money. Yes? Well, it's currency exchange, right? When you currency, when you're changing, currency to currency. All right, U.S. dollars for Canadian dollars. Is this an example of currency exchange? Nope, right? Because it's the same money. It's the same money, U.S. dollars and Canadian dollars is the same money, right? Oh, brothers, what's up, come on, brothers. U.S. dollars and Canadian dollars the same money? Nope. No, they're two different currencies. They may carry the same name, but it's not about the name. It's about what? It's about the value, monetary value. All right, and we mentioned last week that getting involved in Forex is what? It's haram, forbidden. It's not allowed. Not from one aspect, from multiple aspects, right? And what about dropshipping? shipping? Allowed. Drop allowed. Dropshipping, according to the correct opinion, is allowed. It's a form of what? Of as-salam, as we mentioned. Layin. What is the second type? So the first type is currency exchange. What's the second type? Product. What's that? Product for products, all right? What is known as al muqayyala in the Arabic language. Products for products. You sell this, you know, uh, cup of tea for this book, for example. And the third one is the majority of transactions, you know, you buy something with uh, with money. Today, inshallah ta'ala, we will discuss the pillars of transactions. Now, when we say the pillars, are or or al or The pillars of transactions, all of these pillars must be met for every transaction to be valid. And they are three pillars. If you want to know whether a transaction is allowed, in Islamic law, look at these three pillars. Do you find these three pillars? Alright, and then you look into the conditions. What are the three pillars? The first pillar is Al-Aqidah. Alright, Al-Aqidah, meaning the buyer and the seller. All right? For a transaction to be valid, you have to have a buyer and you have to have a seller. You have to have a seller. This is common sense. Common sense, right? Why would they say a buyer and a seller? Because not every single person is allowed, technically, to sell and buy in his hat. Even if he's a grown man with a beard, six feet tall. Right? Not everybody is allowed to buy and sell. All right, there is a bab that will be coming inshallah, a chapter called Bab al-Hajal. And that is, certain people are not allowed to get involved in transactions. Who are they? Children who haven't reached the age of puberty. Or having, and even worse, haven't reached the age of a Tamiz. A Tamiz is, is basically distinguishing between right and wrong. And uh, the fuqaha, they say, it happens right around the age of seven. So if we go by this, if a child who's four years old goes and buys some candy from the store and hands them some pennies, is that transaction valid? No. Transaction is valid or not? Not valid. No. All right, some of the scholars, they say if it's something that is insignificant, something that is small. Then it is forgiven. But if it's something like buying a phone, all right, something that's a little expensive, or real estate, or buying a car, whatever it may be, then that's definitely not allowed, all right? That's definitely not allowed. Like we know, children under the age of puberty and children that haven't reached the age of uh, distinction. What about grown people? How can grown people, grown people, be blocked from buying and selling? Yes. He's not a free man. If he's not a free man. Yeah. Uh, that's there's detail there's details in that it depends you know if his if his technically he's considered an agent all right in a sense because his his master <laughs> gives him the all right but that's, It doesn't exist so there's no point to talk about that there's no slavery it's today a slave a slave is who define a slave Sefih linguistically literally means the foolish one. Alright? Something all you Twitter warriors gotta learn. Alright? Keyboard warriors. If the foolish person speaks, do not respond to him. Alright? What is better than responding to him? To keep quiet. A lion does not respond to the barks of a dog He keeps walking With his shoulder what? Abroad And this is the practice of the Muslims in Quraysh They would be what? They would be uh, cursed And they're walking in the, in the streets of Mecca Alright? You're this and that And they wouldn't look back They wouldn't respond And honor وَإِذَا خَاطَبَهُمُ If the ignorant one speaks They say what? Say peace. And now, something that we see in the city, everybody's trying to, you know, you know, try to fight try to show some ego. I gotta stand my ground. I can't just let them do me like that. When they don't realize that you're humiliating yourself even more. You're putting yourself down to that person's level. You don't respond. You walk away. You know, the other day we were driving, some brothers were with us. Okay? And this one guy who was in front of us had a motorcycle. It was a Saturday afternoon. He had his lady in the back. And you know, tattoos everywhere. And an American flag. And I might have mistaken, I don't know if I seen the Confederate flag too. Aloha. <laughs> well you guys know the description. Something happened on the road that got him a little bit angry. Okay? So we forgot about it a little bit. Uh, we kind of passed him and he didn't say anything at first. So I was all surprised. I was expecting, you know, being cursed, middle finger, stop, or whatever, be mug is something. Nothing. After a minute, he comes and he does whatever you know whatever they do. Alright? What happened? What happened after that? Alright? You can stop you can you know, he came, he mugged, he said something, cursed or a good, you know, it was at a red light I think or there was a slow traffic. He started curse, he started saying a bunch of stuff. Right? Even his wife or girlfriend, I don't know what she was, but whatever she is to him, uh, she was saying something too. What do we do? Huh? You said this, not bad. You should have seen the reaction, their reaction. Wallahi, their reaction was so priceless. They went from super, super angry to super, super stupid in 180 degrees. Because they got so mad, and your guy was cool, calm, and collected, right? He just said, it's about that. You know, and honor. What I'm trying to say, is not, it's not always about what? You know, standing your ground, it's not about that. But it's about preserving your honor and your integrity, being the better person. So a lion does not respond to the barks of a dog. So the foolish person, all right, as Imam al Allah mentions in this bait, and it's also been attributed to Ali ibn Abi Tal. What does the foolish person mean? What do, you, what do you mean by a foolish person? That's pretty broad, right? As-safiq in Bab al a foolish person in this chapter, because it differs from chapter to chapter, is referring to a person who is cannot manage their money, mismanages their money. Now, a lot of people mismanage their money, right? But at a horrible rate, Terrible, right, way To the point that a person becomes bankrupt or something. All right, you guys understand, right? Uh, these people here—it's not practiced as much. Under Islamic law, the judge is required to put a block on all of their transactions. And today, with Al Hamd, that's very easy to do. All right, they can't be involved. You know, you can't give them a credit card or a debit card. You can—you can find some way to to, uh, to to block his usage of money. And in the old days they used to have some type of paper, all right, Uh, or he was known in the city, everybody knew each other, small villages, right? So the point is, the buyer and the seller, they have to be qualified. They have to be what? They have to be qualified. Not everybody is considered technically a buyer and a seller, children under the age of puberty. A person who is what? Foolish, who's the third person, person that's not sane, an insane person, can't buy anything, all right? Can't sell anything, definitely. If you can't buy anything, you definitely cannot sell. So uh, somebody who's insane should not what? Uh, should not be involved in transactions. You should not be involved in transactions. And sometimes they make that depreciation with something that's very small and inexpensive, all right? But definitely for expensive products, they cannot buy. And definitely they cannot sell. Why? Because later on, there's going to be dispute. It's going to lead on to problems. And then the wedding. If an insane person comes and he and he, you know, tears down something, who's responsible for it? His guardian, right? Because you can't you can't hold him responsible, all right? But if you just give him money, what happens? You just give him money, and he plays around with it. Uh, it's going to cause a lot of disputes. So if you look at the Sharia, the way it's set up, it minimizes the disputes as much as possible. If you're in what? Extreme debt. If you're in extreme debt, what do you do here? If you're in extreme debt and you're what? And you're a foolish person? Uh, it doesn't matter, all right? Uh, you're a guardian or a person who's your representative or a close family member, all right? They're the ones who pay off your debt for you. Yeah. So can like, a foolish person like, get rid of this status? Yes, he can. That, that, that goes back to the judgment. He can undo his status if he perform, performs well. All right? If he performs well, he can undo his status. And that is at the discretion of, the, of who? Of the judge or in court. Right? It's, it's funny how Islam is so organized before there was something called organized in humanity, and most of the Muslims are the most disorganized people. It's funny, right? Yeah, I mean, this kind of stuff wasn't known in the world. All these rules and regulations and every little thing to the point that the Jews said they started mocking the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Your Prophet teaches you everything even how to wipe yourself in the back, wash yourself said. said. And Salman al-Fadis, you know what he said? He said al Even how to wipe yourself Even how to wash yourself All right? This stuff wasn't known 1400 years ago. SubhanAllah. That's what happens when we leave the deen. That's what happens when we don't follow Quran and the Sunnah. We don't follow the religion. Alright. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala what does He do? Alright. He punishes us. Now. So we said there are how many pillars? Three pillars. The first pillar is a buyer and a seller. Alright. And not everybody's qualified to be a buyer and a seller. Number two. Right. The first one in Arabic is called Al-Aqidan Number two Al-Ma'kudu Alayhi al Alihi. Is referring to What is agreed upon What did you buy What was the transaction Alright What was the transaction Was it a currency exchange Remember the three types Was it a product for item a Product for product Or item for item or is it money for products, alright? There has to be some type of exchange. A transaction is something what? Something must be exchanged. It can't go one way, alright? If you're handing a loan to somebody, $1,000, okay? Is that considered a transaction? That's not what we're referring to. And this is considered a what? A loan. It comes under the general one, but here specifically it's a it's a loan, because it's one way. There has to be what? Something going both ways, all right? And in this transaction, there are certain conditions that the Mu'allif here mentions. Certain conditions, all right? You can't buy and sell everything, can you? Can I buy and sell this tea? You can buy and sell it, right? Okay. Can I buy and sell alcohol? Yeah. You can't. What about a dog? Yeah. Huh? Buy and sell. Them. Yeah. No, yes. service dog. Service dog. Guard dog. Guard dog. Yeah. Okay. No, that's what that's what was said. You mentioned eight to guard. All right. The Prophet says, "Ukhairin, Musa al-Madid al Naha an Tamani al-Kalb." The Prophet forbade us from what? Buying and selling dogs But at the same time In the Quran It teaches us that when we're hunting One of the forms of hunting that we could use Is to send dogs Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala he says in Surah al maidah Muqallibin Referring to dogs Dogs will go hunt for you And what about blind people who use what? Like service guards, right? What about guard dogs who protect farms and whatnot? Alright, so they say you're not allowed to have a dog. But un- these are exceptions. Okay. How do you how do you get these dogs unless you buy them, right? So in is Islamic law, you're not technically supposed to sell them. You're not supposed to buy them to find a watch. So find some way to get them. <laughs> uh, that's pretty hard in, in the United States, but I tell you what, it's pretty easy over in the Middle East. You see dogs everywhere, especially in Egypt. Every two quarters you see, you know, sometimes somebody even you. a whole gang will come after you. Alright? In, in Saudi, it's not as much. In Saudi, you gotta really, do, you gotta work hard to find some dogs. Because they're, you find you see more cats than dogs. Dogs you gotta go, you know, you gotta go somewhere all the way in the back in some corner. And even when they see you, they run away. In terms of selling animals, is that the only animal that's created to sell a pig. Alright? Alright? So there are some certain conditions, alright, when it comes to products. Let's write this down, inshallah. That comes under pillar number two. The first one, as here says, The first is that whatever you're selling has to be pure. Has to be a product that is what? That is pure. You cannot sell an impure substance. You cannot sell an impure product. Right? So, for example, alcohol. Is it pure or is it impure? Huh? Alcohol, if it hits your body, do you have to wash it off? Is alcohol impure or pure? As we took this before. Who says impure? Who says pure? Okay, you guys don't know? Who says pure? We got a couple guys that say pure. Who says impure? So right now, uh, alcohol gets on my body. Can I pray or not? Can I pray? One of the eight conditions of prayer is what? One of the eight conditions of prayer is that your clothes, place of prayer, and body have to be pure. See? Alcohol is impure and impure. According to the Shafi'i madhhab, according to the madhhab, according, according to the school of thought, al-Khamo, alcohol is impure. So if you pray with alcohol, on your body, or on your clothes, your salah is invalid. You're constantly roaming around the streets of Cedar, you better watch out. <laughs> a lot of brothers nowadays, you know, uh, they're just falling around, you know, taking too many, you know, taking too many pills. They eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the bootlegged pharmacy in the back. And then you see some of them just holding a can, and they're just falling. And the bottle It happens to me how many times? A couple of times it happens to me They're just walking, walking And then what happens? They drop the bottle right in front of you It's not done show you. So you got to watch out Alcohol if it hits you according to the madhab It's what? Your salah is invalid But What about an rahimahullah What does he say about this? an rahimahullah He says And a number of scholars From the madhab And outside of the madhab They say that no, we do not agree that alcohol is impure. And He says that alcohol is actually pure, even though it's haram to drink. Alcohol is haram to drink, but if it hits your body, it's pure. Why does Nabi say this? Let me finish this morning, inshallah. He says there is no evidence stating that alcohol is impure. Bring me one evidence, and I'm with <laughs> you. All right. So the opposition they said, we'll bring you an evidence. How about Surah Al-Maid? And once again, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Inna man khumhu wal-maysir wal-ansab wal-azlam rijsun min amal al what? alcohol. All right, and gambling and ansab and azlam were. Different types of games that they used to play, you know, kind of like Fortnite but in the old days. All of these things are what are impure. Rich, but rich sometimes is referring to ritual impurity. You you actually, and sometimes it's referring to something what? So it's it's, metaf- it's it's basically it's a metaphor. It's not it's not referring to uh, the actual product, the actual substance being impure. So I never remember responds, and the scholars who followed him in this. They say, okay, hold up. Look at the, pro- the things that were mentioned with alcohol. What was mentioned with alcohol in the verse? al said gambling. And is gambling something that you can, that's tangible? No. Gambling is something that you, it's a game. How is that actually impure? What are you going to, what do you say? The cards are- come on. So here... And it is it's referring to what? The other type of impurity. So if you look at a lie from, from an evidence perspective, another law seems to be a bit stronger. But then again, and I'm just telling you guys this, this back and forth debate between the scholars, telling you that Islamic law is very comprehensive. It's not something that's black and white. Then again, you gotta look at it from a, another perspective, and that is, who is the one who's supposed to bring evidence? The opposition or a know Who's supposed to bring evidence? Is the origin that everything is pure until proven impure? Or is the origin everything is impure until proven pure? Pure pure. Pure until proven impure? Yes yeah, sir? Where's the evidence for that? See, this is why it is very important to study a subject called or legal theory, foundations of fiqh. Alright? It'll help you understand the Quran and the Sunnah. You see two people debating about something, one guy drops an ayah, another guy drops a hadith, another dude you know drops something, they just keep going back and forth, there's no substance. Because they didn't have a good what understanding of Sul al You can have all of the evidences you want in the world. If you don't know if you don't know how to properly apply them, nothing will work. Right? Like in this case what is the origin and how do we know what is the origin all right purity is the asal all right what is the need for this Allah says I the earth to him Allah says that or the, prophet <laughs> the, prophet, <laughs> the prophet the prophet said the hadith of Jabir the prophet said and says, That the entire world has been what? Has made pure for me. So the scholars extract from this hadith that the origin of all matters is that they are pure until proven what? Impure. Where are they proven impure? Where do we find the evidence for something that is impure? Excellent. The Quran and the Sunnah. And not your whims, desires, and my opinion. Well, my opinion, or the way I see, or Islam, we got a lot of those nowadays. A well, these people are nuts. Who are you, Aslam? Who are you? Pick up a pen, get a book. You know what I'm saying? Allah Azza wa Ta'ala. What did the say? They say, according to me, this is impermissible. <laughs> Who are you to even state what is permissible and impermissible? We gotta be we cannot play around with this. This is our dean, this is our religion. Alright? This is our dean. What is more important? Our religion, our theology, or our lives? Our dean, right? is more important. Okay, when we go into the field of medicine, alright, and somebody's doing your surgery, you're gonna play around with it? Or are you gonna actually do proper research and find somebody that you trust? When it comes to dean, everybody has their two hands in. It's more important than what? Than life. You know the objections of Sharia are five. Number one is what? It's preserving the religion. Then comes preserving the soul. And then comes preserving everything else. Number one is the religion. So we gotta be serious. So people who are giving their opinions, we should not give them platforms. We should not give them what? Opinions. We don't be disrespectful. We don't show the bad stuff. You you don't correct wrong with wrong. At the same time, you know a lot of times what happens is Mujamada, we let people slide. Can't do that. And the Prophet said, informed us. He said, why do these people who are ignoramuses with a capital I alright? These people who are ignoramuses, why in the world do they why are people listening to them, also? Why do they even why do people even rate them? The Prophet, I you know what he told us? Also in Bukhari Muslim He said The people make them leaders who are ignorant It's not just themselves People made them up So we collectively as students of knowledge all right, We got our merit Our basis has to be based off what? It has to be based off knowledge It can't be based off you know whatever we see today Allah, I don't know how we got into this now Let's get back on track. Um, if you're you got a question? We um, were talking about alcohol. I wanted to ask uh, medicine alcohol. Is that, What's that? Uh, medicine alcohol. Would that yes. Be, would that be impure? طبعاً just take a just take a look. When it comes to you know preserving your life, even if it means Right, even if it means that you have to take something haram in, then you're allowed to. If the doctors and any trustworthy ones, if they say you cannot live without it or you're gonna be in uh, harm's way, Alright So you're allowed. Whatever it may be. Okay. That's just to take that as a guide and apply it to every uh, every question. Right? If, if it's something that's like you can still live with and you're not gonna have, then then you should probably, you should avoid it. But it's something that you're either gonna die or you're gonna, it's gonna hurt you, then you're allowed. Okay? Whoever is put in a position of necessity without going extreme. Now, some people have prescribed some pills, right? And what happens? Uh, For a short period and then they just go crazy after it. It puts a condition to it, not, not, uh, not going extreme, not going overboard. All right? You're hungry, you haven't eaten for two and a half days, and pepperoni pizza comes out of nowhere. Uh, what you gonna do? You gonna eat a whole box? No, eat three three slices, two slices, four slices, you know, and then balance you You gonna eat a box and a half? Come on. It's like, yo, this is my only time. I have a hijab, a Let me go in and all that. go all out, brother. Uh, you can't do that. And I say, enough to, you know, uh, to relieve your hunger. Right? That's it. You're not supposed to do it. And uh, there's something laughing Ask that. that's the Asrullah. So we said that the second pillar is what? Alright, All right. what is a Greek, what, what kind of transaction is it, is it product for product, is it a currency exchange, or is it the normal transactions we see today, and there are certain conditions, we said the first condition is that it has to be what, it has to be pure, or you mentioned a couple examples of examples of, of some items or products or animals that are impure. Number two, he says here, He says there has to be something that is beneficial. Something that you actually use. Alright? Something that you actually use. Now, to be honest, when, when the Fuqaha discuss this issue, what do they mean by benefit? Something you actually use. And the example they always give are insects. Buying insects, how about that? Just think. Buying, you know, a thousand ants. Uh, is that allowed? <laughs> no. But here's the thing. We live in 2019. You can, Basically, you need everything. I don't know what they use for insects. They probably use it for some type of experiment or something. So that's kind of beneficial, right? But back in the old days, they, they weren't. So they always used to use insects. I don't know him. The examples for this are very, very good. All right? I want you guys, inshallah, to go and research this issue this week. Think of an example or something that is non-beneficial at all. That you're not allowed to buy or that has no benefit to it. Zero benefits. Now, we're not talking about you not benefiting from Let's see you buy this book for 20 bucks and you don't read a day in your life. We're not talking about that. We're not discussing that. We're talking about something that there's no benefit to. Alright? There's no benefit to it whatsoever. Not even uh, financially, not even, whatever. So think of an example in 2019, something that is what? Non-beneficial. Which reminds me, I asked you guys a question last week. Who remembers the question? Can you, okay. Can you buy gold with a credit card? Huh? Can you buy gold with a credit card? Who researched it? Uh? All right, I'll tell you guys the answer, inshallah. Let's write this down. Now, when it comes to gold, we mentioned that with gold and certain conditions, one of the main conditions of buying and selling gold is that the transaction has to be on the spot. You receive the gold and you give the what? You give the money right away. Okay? Now, with a credit card, is the money given right away? taken off your account right away. Receives in their account right away. There's usually a process, and sometimes it takes 24 hours, 48 hours. Right? It's problematic. So buying gold with a credit card is what? It's not allowed generally unless you know for sure that that money goes into their account right then and there. Can't even be delayed an hour. But with a debit card, you're allowed to with a credit card, it becomes a little different Because what happens? There's that time period. Same issue we have with what? Forex, a time period that's not allowed. So, um, it comes to buying gold, that is of monetary value. With a credit card, if there is some type of delay, you're not allowed to. Either pay cash, pay with a debit card. Or, there are some credit cards that Swipe right away You know what I mean? He tells us that When it comes to this bad A lot of us and When I say a lot of us We're talking about as a Muslim community there's A lot of things That we need to go back And actually go and research A lot of things that sometimes We're involved with That That we don't even research I'll give you guys an example Something called multi-level marketing MLMs Pyramid schemes. Allah, I see it in the middle of Agesa. I see it in the middle of Agesa. Better or worse, I seen it in the middle of Galcayo. It reached. It reached. The, it reached Africa, brother. That's how you know something is serious. Pyramid schemes and MLMs are these allowed? <laughs> They're not allowed. There, there might even be worse than forex. It might even be worse than forex. We have, you know, a lot of people jumping on it, right? Okay. This Iqbali. This came to mind right now. But, let's write this down as well. Just the benefit. And that is, whenever something is haram in this bab, it usually goes back to three matters. Most of the time. Most of the time, it goes back to three things. Anything that is haram goes back to three matters. Usually. In the chapter of transactions. First is equity back, usury. All right? Usury is involved. And usury is not just adding on Like i give you 100 for 120. There's different types. Next week, inshallah. We, we said we we're going to do this last week, but due to the lack of time, we'll probably do it next week. We'll talk about the different types of usury. All right? Now, late payments are a type of usury. Just to give you guys a little preview. Late payments are a type of what usury interest. Different, I mean, two different terms. It's dangerous. Two, Second reason why something is haram: uncertainty. Uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty in it. All right. So, uh, for example, they use the example of. Commercial insurance. Commercial insurance, Islamic law is not allowed according to the majority of scholars. Commercial insurance is not allowed according to the majority of scholars. That includes what? Car insurance. Here we have to get it, because it's the law, it's a law. Alright? And it's pretty much a law everywhere. But the Sharia is haram not allowed, according to the majority of contemporary scholars. Why? Because there's a lot of uncertainty. Five years, five years of paying bills—you don't get it to one accent; you don't get a scratch. All that money—something is uncertain. Okay? Hey, now—that's not allowed. There's an issue of buffets. You pay 15 bucks, but you don't know how much you're going to eat. There's uncertainty there, right? But. When we say uncertainty, and inshallah I'm going to get to this chapter When we say uncertainty, we mean limited uncertainty That is allowed But when it's something like insurance And you know for sure, you don't know if you're getting into the accident Alright, then that's a problem But if you're talking about limited uncertainty like buffet Majority of the scholars say buffets are Halal Alright Okay, let's take a you, brother. Well, there are a couple of scholars that say it's not a law from them. one of the Mashaad. There's a third opinion that I heard from one chef. It was a strange opinion on buffets. You know what he said? He said, it depends on how much you make. If you're a baller, it's high. If you're broke, it's <laughs> What was it? Did he go figure. I don't know where he got that from. But literally, that's what he said. And then you know what he said? I'm a baller. All y'all are broke. <laughs> so. I don't know what that is but that was a third opinion I heard from a ship. And he is the student of one of our other ships, Who says that it's haram no matter what I don't know First opinion is that it's halal Limited uncertainty is allowed Because there's a lot of products that you buy There is some level of uncertainty For example when you buy Everybody here's favorite Fruits, and that is right. A banana Republic. Bananas. You buy bananas, you don't know what's behind the peel, right? You're not sure. So bananas, are they allowed? You're allowed to buy. This is like something, this is called a jihad yaseel. Jahari yaseel is allowed. Okay? So we said that anything how long, goes back to usually three is three three things. First is Elriba. Second is uncertainty. Three is of oppression, transgression. Some type of is involved. Some type of transaction is involved. An example of that is al najesh. Tell me what bairun nejjesh is. I took in al al famous hadith of the Prophet in which he said, Wala Do not be involved in a najjesh. What does a najish mean? A najishology is when you go to an auction, for example. And you, the guy who's selling the product, the car, whatever it may be, already made a secret deal behind closed doors. This guy is your poster boy, all right? He's your splash brother. He's just going to drive up the price. And he has no potential to buy it. 2K gold what? then he says $4,500. Some other guy says 27. He says 275 27 you know uh, 60. Uh, he's just driving on the price and then he's kind of, he's gonna kind of estimate on when he's gonna give up. All right? So this person he made an agreement said just to drive to you know drive the price up so that the Mesquite guy pays a couple hundred, a couple extra hundred or a couple extra thousand, whatever it may be. Is this allowing us now? It's not allowed because this is what? This is alful. This is oppression. Right? a uh, For example, you see a brother, you know, this happens usually it's out of law. Sometimes it happens in bookstores among students of knowledge. There's a doa going on, there's only limited copies. You go to the bookstore, there's the last copy left. I ain't gonna lie you know something similar happened to me, but I wasn't involved in this. But something similar happened to me recently. But I'll tell you guys that story later. But sometimes there's one copy left, and the guy is about to buy that last copy. One other guy comes and he says, "Listen, I'm about to give you double the price. I'm gonna give you double the price to get that book." So the seller's like, oh. like, "Uh, that's not allowed. That's oppression, right?" It's already finalizing the contract. All right, you're not allowed to do that. Okay, if the talks didn't begin, then you're allowed to come in. But if the talks begin, you, you can't. You can't go in. If you go in, that is a border. If he decides to leave, the book, that's up to you. And that's just an example that happens where we see the, definitely does not happen here. But just to give you guys an example. happened to me recently was, I reserved a book. A very expensive book and a very rare book. Rare prints. So I reserved it three days ahead. I came to the bookstore and I was about to get it. And the owner, he says, I don't have anything reserved for you. So the brother that was the plug, I called him, what's going on here? I thought I got this reserved. He talked to him and then he remembered that I had it reserved, but then he gave my reserved book to another guy who reserved it. So he reserved the original book was reserved for me, and it was the last copy. He kind of did some miscalculations and he reserved it for another guy who wasn't there. So he told me to come back. I came back, and he was talking about something. Listen, you either take the book now, or I'll give it to you tomorrow for a discounted price. What would you do in that case? I'll give it to you tomorrow. Another batch is coming tomorrow for a discounted price, just for you, just because of this whole mix-up. What would you do? Huh? I'm hearing a lot of different things. What's going on? Come back tomorrow. tomorrow. Take the book right then and there. Take it now. Take it now. It's a business decision. You know the ball is out of bounds. You gotta sacrifice your body. It's about to hit. You know, crash or not. It's a business decision. You gonna save some money or are you gonna get that book? Because what happens, flat tire, comes two days later. You miss out a whole day on the class, right? Class restoring that night, Hey now. I told her brother, hey listen, I got no guarantees for tomorrow, let me get my book. And then he tells me, he says, hey listen, now when I hear discount, I'm thinking 10 bucks, i five bucks. My guy, he told me he's gonna give it to me for free. I was gonna save eighty dollars on it. The book was two hundred. Just to tell you guys, two hundred thirty bucks, right? He was gonna give it to me for a buck fifty. Then I was like, okay, hold on. Now <laughs> you gotta talk about it. I like, oh <laughs> Eighty bucks, brother. Hold of eighty bucks. That's four or five books, man. I get this book and four or five books. So then it got a little bit, you know, how come you didn't tell me this before? I would have just said that. It's like, it's too late, it's too late. <laughs> Which, this kind of thing's happened. But anyways, I ended up, what happened was, uh, a long story happened, I mean, I'll take that, another time, but uh, it's, it's good to see that this thing happens overseas with books. <laughs> Definitely does not happen over here. Some other things happen over here, you know? But in, in general, uncertainty, usury, and oppression it goes back to these three. In multi-level marketing, you find all three. Allahu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Akbar. it's not haram from one aspect, it's all aspects. Alright? Adum min al-Mahadir And we have people, a lot of Muslims involved in it. Alright? At the end of the day, even from a you know financial perspective, very, very few people make money off of it, right? Very, very few people make money off of it. Uh, most people they end up what? Uh, most people they end up losing. I remember one time there was something hot going on overseas years ago. A lot of people were jumping out of people. People ended up losing money. I'm talking about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Right? them time. So before you go get involved in anything, what is the first thing that you do? You get it screened. You know? Brother telling you, tell you, yo, I got involved in penny stocks. He doesn't even know what is the, you know, what is the parameters of haram, haram, get involved in pay stocks. That even allow. Or prize stocks or whatever it may be. Investments. It gets into the whole investments field. Or somebody gets, gets into real estate. Whatever it may be. Before you go into anything, make sure you run it by a scholar or a sheikh. is it halal is halal. And you don't go to any scholar or sheikh. You don't go to a scholar or a sheikh that is a master in Arabic grammar. <coughs> All right, he can tell you the of a sentence. He can spit Arabic poetry, all right? But that's not his field. You got to go to the right scholar for each field. All right, you don't just go to any sheikh, all right? Some people, they do that intentionally. Some people, they go to sheikhs, they know that it's not their field, just so they can get, they trigger just so they can get a wrong fatwa because they want that wrong fatwa. All right, you're not supposed to do that. You go to the scholar for each Every scholar that you go to, you go to for his taqassus, for his specialty. You don't go to a asking him about this, you know? Unless he's a muhaddith and faqih. Some guys are polymaths, they're a jack of all trades, master of many. Alright? There's some mashayah that are like that, but they're very few. And from the scholars of history, who can name a few scholars that were polymaths? Ibn Taymiyyah. Ibn Taymiyyah in my opinion, Allah A'lam is the greatest scholar after the setup of all time, and there's not even a close second. After the year 300 or 300, the early mid mid fourth century after the setup, Allah, A'lam, is no scholar. All right? Arabs and non-Arabs, and Berber al Muslims, Kuffar any science, I'm talking about Islamic and secular, that was greater than Ibn Taymiyyah. And I challenge anybody to find me somebody who is greater than Ibn Taymiyyah, Allahu Akbar. In terms of knowledge, you can have, you can have differences with them or whatever, but who is greater than Ibn Taymiyyah? The orientalists and the kuffar, they literally study this guy, all right? Every few months you see some new paper about Ibn Taymiyyah. Ibn Taymiyyah, the works on Ibn Taymiyyah Probably match Or are going to eventually match The works that he's written And Ibn Taymiyyah has written how many volumes? Over 300 volumes And that's only the ones that we found <laughs> they wrote Ibn, About Ibn Taymiyyah there's 300 volumes Just about his life and, his, and how he changed brother Ibn of rahimahullah there was not a s- single sign that he was weakened. In. in fact, they used to say that if he speaks about one science, you think this is the only thing that he knows. The guy is dumb on everything else, but this is the only thing. Literally, he put his whole life into this. Then he goes into another thing and you're like, okay, he knows that too. Okay, he knows this too. And that too, and then you start. You st- starts becoming starts getting out of hand. This guy was coming at Sibaway. Who's the Sibawayh is the dawn of grammarians and lexicons of Arabic. And he was a Persian. Passed when you year 180. At the young age of 32. He wrote a book called The Book. Literally. That's how legendary he is. It's called The Book. I don't even need to give it a date. It's called Al-Kitab. Love that. Al-Kitab. You know what he says? I found 80 mistakes in Al-Kitab. He says, I used to give verdicts from the book Al-Kitab. Al-Kitab is an Arabic grammar book. and Fatwa is something else. How or what did he tie both together? Go ask me for Tamiya. Inshallah in paradise. Inshallah in Allah, grant us paradise. Amen. And grant him paradise. Rahimahullah. Al-Simlaqani, Rahimahullah. One of his arch rivals, One of the guys that he debated. You know what he says? As Ibn Rajab mentions in his book, Dayl al-Tabakat al-Hanabiyah. There is no scholar that has memorized more than Imitamia in 500 years. Imitamia passed away in the year 728. Do the math. 328, right? 328, that's the seven Who's saying that? Or 228? There's another narration that says 400 years. All right, one narration says 400 years, another narration says 500 years. So even if you go to 400 years, it's still at the end of the seventh. All right? And if we go with the narration of 500 years Ibn Hajar he says the setup ends at the year 220 228 So both ways we can Both ways it doesn't matter Alright Who's saying this? His boy His friends His mashaif His students His arch rival One of the guys who was behind Putting him in prison imagine that. think about that for a moment, you're a rival, the, you, these, you know, they, that whole group of Zamalakani and his whole group, they literally were the cause, and I'm about not every single one, but they caused the to be imprisoned seven times over the span of five years, they ended up, they ended up dying in prison, and he's still saying there's no more knowledge of that so imagine people today who come out and disrespect them and call them this and call them that. Who give me another example? A Nawi rahimahullah. Ibn Hajar rahimahullah. A Si'utri Rahimahullah. Ibn Ibn al-Qayyim Rahimahullah. Ibn Rajab, pretty good as well. Rajab is underrated. Very, very underrated. And that's because some of his great works is lost. He has an explanation of al-Tirmidhi. Had we had that, Allah subhanahu wa And he wrote an explanation of Bukhari before Ibn Hajar's explanation. But unfortunately, he passed away and he reached the chapter of funeral. And the, the, the part in which he explained Al Bukhari is printed in seven volumes. And I mentioned this to you guys before who printed this book? Shaykh al Awad Allah, who lives right here in Bloomington, Minnesota. Right? And he completed that book. Ibn Hajar's explanation of Bukhari Which they say Is the greatest explanation of all time And there's no close second Ibn Rajab would be greater than Ibn Hajar So Ibn Bukhari's explanation It incomplete At this explanation that's complete Lost Maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala You know brings it out in the light There's a lot of books They start to come out Right We have a lot of books here In the United States And in the UK and some of these Western countries that they took from the Muslim countries in the periods of colonization, all right? There's a lot of books they took. They have a lot of manuscripts. Sometimes they put them, you know, sometimes they hide them. Right? Don't go no further. The University of Minnesota right here has a lot of jewels. You go to Wilson Library, third floor, you find a lot of books, Islamic books, in Arabic. I found one book years ago. It was a gloss of a man by the name of Al Rashidi Al Maghribi. On the, one of the explanations of Al Minhaj, which is a book in the Shabbi School of Thought, printed close to 100 years ago. In the middle of Minnesota. What is this book doing here? I couldn't even find this book in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> it's right here, right next door. Five minutes. Hey, these guys—they have a lot of things for us. But we sleep, we sleep. So, inshallah, maybe that Ibn Rajab's book we find it. Allahu But it's lost. So Ibn Rajab—he's pretty underrated. A lot of people—they think he's just a muhaddith, but he wasn't. He was muhaddith, he was a faqih, and he was usuli at the same time. We'll okay, give more Huh? more examples. Uh, who? Al Al-Qarafi al rafii It's kind of tough See, al Rafi is pretty underrated too al Allah rahimahullah Him and al are known as the two sheikhs of the method And in fact, I heard of the He said that al Rafi might be even well-grounded in hadith than Anawi himself And we know al and him in hadith Obviously, he won't reach the ranks of Ibn Hajar Just like Ibn Hajar won't reach Al-Nawiyah in fiqh very well versed in hadith. To the point that he authenticates hadith and weakens them. But Al-Rafi the only thing is that he did not use to mix hadith with fiqh. Fiqh was separate for him, and hadith was separate for him. And now he used to mix them. So he's in a fiqh book but he discusses an issue in hadith in detail. Rafi didn't used to do this. He's like, you know, let's keep everything, you know, aside. Allah. So Al-Rafi is pretty. It's pretty good, but we just don't have no, you know, we don't have too many evidence for that. We don't have he doesn't have too many works, you right If they're Josie, if they're Josie, he's pretty good. But the thing is, he wrote so many books. He wrote a thousand books, and you know, there's always that debate between quality and quantity, right? He wrote a lot of books. to The point that he says himself, about himself: I'm not an author. I just bring things together. So I mean, uh, Ibn al-Jozi, for example, he's considered a hafiz in a hadith, memorized over 100,000. But Ibn al-Jozi did not memorize over 100,000. But because he was an avid reader, right? They consider him a hafiz because he used to read a lot, so he had a lot of information. Okay, he used to constantly read. But Was he like 100,000? Like, did he memorize? They included him because of his ability to read. He was reading ever since he was young, and he had, he had access to a lot of books. And where did he live? Baghdad. And he had a good relationship with the, with the government for a good period. To the point that the, tari- the Khalifa used to come to his majlis. The point that he says 100,000 used to come to. You know, Joseph, he had a lot of access to books. But was he a polymath? Azab, some am burning that. He says two, three I don't remember exactly, two, three sciences, he's strong in it. He says that in Fiqh, he's average, intermediate. And then he says a couple, two, three that he needs to work on. But the perception is that he's like what? Okay, it's hard to say that he was a polymath like these guys. But at the same time, he wasn't somebody who specialized in one field to the point that he'd say he's a Hujj in this field. And I don't have the guts to say that he's a jack of master of none. But I think he's stuck between, between both. But he, he's unique, because he wrote over a thousand books. Some of them were very, very nice. Some of them, there's issues with it. And some of them were pretty, pretty average. That's what happens when you write a lot, when you do a lot of work, what happens? The quality takes a dip, right? So quantity over over quality. One might say, what about Esiulti? How could we include Esiulti? We did include Ibn although they both had similar approaches. Esiulti, he was a whole different personality himself. Esiulti literally locked himself in a room for 22 years and did not allow anybody to see him. All he was doing was praying, eating, and writing. He wrote over 600 books He was a man that was like, he was just born to write. You know when he started writing? He authored his first book at the age of eight. Imagine an eight year old, bro. I don't even know if an eight year old can hold a pencil. He's writing books. 22 years he locked himself in a room. So he had what? He had the ability to produce quality. And Josie though, he had a lot of things going for him. He wasn't locked in a room. Although he himself, Josie, he says about himself that I do not leave my house Except for two things. Now I want to. Admit, I want to put a disclaimer. Do not follow Ibn this. All right, Ibn is a great scholar, Abdul Rahman, Ibn al-Faraj, Rahman bin Ali bin Ja'far Ibn, Ibn Josee. He's from the descendants of Bukhari Ibn Sadiq, Bachelor in the year 597. One of the greatest scholars of Islamic history, the most prolific author. But maybe in this, don't follow him. He says, I do not leave my house except for two reasons. One, for jama'a And two For my duffs. <laughs> What's missing out here? Just jama'a He don't even come out for jama'a <laughs> He don't come out for salah He prays at home But then my man is a hamdari uh, He's a hamdari He's huh? He's still correct Jama'ah in the house? You we say jama'ah, it's only why you don't say jama'ah in the masjid Alright, jama'ah in the house how do you know that does to Jama'ah in the masjid is, is a great period of having Why? Because the hadith that they use Hadith of Sa'i Musr, hadith of the blind man What did the Prophet say? You hear the anan, come to the masjid That's the hadith that they use the Hanbalis are the only scholars that say that you have to pray the a masjid for all five prayers. Who could raise their hand and say that I pray for all five prayers today in the masjid? If you're not, you're sinning according to the Hanabin. Yeah, it's tough. But even Joseph is a hembali, and he was a great scholar, he didn't pray I don't know, a lot. We make, we make excuses for him. Let's make excuses for him, but we do not follow that. Alright, maybe there's a reason why, maybe there's something, maybe Maybe if he comes to jama'ah, he's just gonna be, you know, he can't be. I don't know. Imam Malik, rahimahullah, you know, uh, he had something similar, right? He had a similar. And then he said, when he was asked about it, what did he say? He said, not everybody can publicly uh, state their excuses. Yeah, <laughs> there might be something that's a little private. How do we get into Ibn al-Jawzi, from Bayt Ibn Jose? Now. Times some big time. I don't know if he's like to these guys as low, but he's definitely a faqih. Last check, He's pretty well versed in hadith, but he's not reaching a no in these guys. He's definitely very good in usul, definitely very good at aqeedah. He's pretty good. He's, he's up there. He got three categories solid. The fourth one, he's pretty good. It's pretty good for a faqeed, but he won't reach these other guys that we mentioned. But Ibn Hudam is up there. Passing away the year 620. His book, Al-Mumni, is probably the greatest book right now. Hey, yeah. now. How is one person locked in a room at Jamaica? I don't get it. What's that? What's that? <laughs> no, he's <eat> like with <laughs> stamina. Oh, stamina. <family>. You yeah. <laughs> should have been that clear. Yeah. All right, Fwadi. Yes. Um, why was Locked up. Me, yeah. All right. We got about ten minutes. Baby why was he locked up? Oh, me, was locked up for many reasons. One of the reasons why he was locked up is because of an issue known as the triple divorce. Triple divorce. Y'all you know about the triple divorce? Triple divorce is an issue. If you go to your wife and you say, I divorce you three times, is it counted as three divorces or is it counted as one divorce that happened at one time? One. Is that happened at one? One, one yes. One? Okay. If you can't say it, three times, you know? Yeah, you say, I divorce you three times. One well, I heard it the other day, man. Okay, we had a dispute with him, and we're going back and forth. And then he said, "Allah, I have divorced my wife three times. If I'm lying." Ooh. That was, it was tough. Right, well, it was a tough story. Uh, it happened at an airport. So one of the head guys at an airport. Uh, He was trying to get something, there was something wrong with his visa or something like that. He was trying to get away with it. And they made a title. They said, leave, we're not doing anything for you. So, um, that's what the, that's what the man, or one of the managers at the airport, that's what he thinks. He comes around four hours later trying to do the same process. And then the guy says, hey, listen, you came to me earlier this morning. So the guy, he says, no, I didn't. He said, well, Allah, you did. He said, well, lie, I did it. He said, well, lie, I divorced my wife three times if he did. He said, well, lie, we'll go, we'll go check the cameras. They checked the cameras. It was a guy that looked like him. The guy just started crying. <laughs> he called a Shaykh, what can I do? abdullah the, 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 the fatwa that's a place in Saudi in many Muslim countries is Ibn Taymi'l's and that is, you divorce your wife three times, one is, is counted as what? Once inshallah will come in the chapter of divorce But this goes against the overwhelming majority of the scholars From the Hanaviyah and the Malikiyah and the Shafi'iyya And the majority of the Hanaviyah The majority of the scholars they say That three divorces equals You you, you divorce your wife three times Is equal to three divorces And what's the special number about three? You divorce your wife three times You can't go back to your wife except under one condition. And that is, if another man marries your wife, and he doesn't just do the contract, he he goes the whole nine yards, then he divorces her, then you go back to her, and you cannot make a deal with her. If you make a deal with them, then it's invalid. So basically, you can't go back to her. Pretty tight, right? majority of the scholars, they say, now during the time of this was not just a majority, it was a near consensus, unanimous consent That opinion of three three, one, one, not almost never existed Alright, and so I don't want to go into the issue So then Ibn Taymiq gives a fatwa Based on the dali' in the Quran and the sunnah Three divorces equals to one Cool They put him in prison for it So that's one of the issues, of my brother Alright One of the issues is the triple divorce Alright, he calls it fitna and even more recently some of the Muslim countries, the more traditional the more traditional uh, the more traditional Muslims they actually go with three equals three all right uh, in their own of course, but most Muslim countries and the fatwa of most communities three equals one. Another issue was regarding one of the books that he wrote and lastly, that at that time was very popular, it had so many copies, went all over the world. So they, had a, they, 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 had, they set a whole debate session based on this book. And because of that debate, the sultan, or the leader at that time, he decided to side with the opposition. And they put Imitamia in prison because they uh, accused him of blasphemy. They said that, that Taymiyyah believes in what? Something called? Mushabbiha, or another word, and see There you go. It's the word I'm looking for. What is that? What is that in English? Anthropomorphic, right? Or however, you, how you pronounce that difficult word. Anyways, they're saying that Allah they're accusing that Allah Subhanahu is a body, which is absolutely incorrect. Taymiyyah never said that, but. It's a, it's a long debate regarding that. I don't want to get into the fine details of it. But the main reason why they didn't like Himitania, or they put him in prison, is because he did two things. First of all, he was just more knowledgeable than everybody else. Hey, you know, naturally, you're just going to have haters. Right? When you have one guy that's all the way up in the ceiling, and everybody else is just, he's just looking down upon him like he's on top of a mountain. At the same time, he's humble. It's not like he puts himself up. That's gonna kill you, right? So he had some haters. This happens even between scholars. Better than if you see, uh, one thing that you can see, that you can say that scholars have a problem with, is envy and jealousy. It's something that scholars have a problem with. And that's why you should never get caught between two scholars feuding each other. And When I say scholars, I'm not talking about two keyboard warriors talking about legit scholars. Two scholars are refuted each other. Hey, back out. Sometimes, very sometimes, one of them might have a point, but don't get involved in that because a lot of times, this is known. A lot of times, it's personal. I'll give you guys the example of Imam Siyuti and Imam Sakhawi. Today we the different, but inshallah, hopefully this is beneficial. As Siyuti and Sakhawi. If you see the debate between them, Wallah, you think they're keyboard words. You, mean, you just take their words and you, tra- you just translate it to English and you don't say it's a humility. You think there are two guys that are debating online today. That's how bad it got. One of them started coming at his mom. <laughs> uh, it was bad, it was bad. If you see Imam Malik and Ibn Ishaq, you know, man, call him a Dejadah. the They call him a Dejadah. Dejadah is one of the great scholars of seal. They call him a Dajjal. We say that we seek refuge the of the Dejadah in prayer. And he's a great scholar the Deep with Ain't no joke. So two scholars are, you know, don't get into that mess. I know some guys, they got into that mess. What happened? They ruined themselves. Alright? And they wasted a lot of their time. Alright? How do we get into this, brothers? Let's talk about something. Uh, and that is Ibn and how we got to. Brother, you know, you got it. So Ibn got imprisoned seven different times for seven different reasons. But like three of them were kind of similar. Three or four of them were kind of similar. I hate the issues. A couple of them was fit. Another one that was fit was visiting the graves. Can you? Go and make your attention Let's say, you know, brothers go for Umrah, right? Brothers and sisters, they both go for Umrah, right? When you go for Umrah, you go there for Umrah And then you visit the Prophet's grave, right? But imagine you go all the way to Medina To visit the prophet's grave I remember one time he was saying He said, Allah, oh, I was trying to see the prophet's grave so bad See, the grave is more important than Umrah Than Hajj, than Ramadan He said, I wanted to go See the Prophet's grave so bad that I applied to the Islamic University of Medina. I got accepted. <laughs> I got my scholarship. I got my ticket. I, I landed it off the plane. I got my door. I chilled for a couple of days. I went to the grave every day, five times a day. I did it for a month. And then I went to the administration. I told them, give my passport and my exit visa. I'm out of here. So they came and they sat down with him. They say, this man who's narrating the story, they say Chef McBaz sat down with him, this Tunisian fellow. He said, Chef McBaz asked him, what's going on? Why are you going back? You're only here for a month. Uh, he said, uh, it's tight, I gotta go back. Come on, I don't know. why are you going back? Is it, is it, is there an issue? Did you see something wrong in this country? We can help you out with that. He said, nah, that's not there, we're good. The best said, "Nah, no, no. tell me, I can help you. It's, it's about marriage, it's about your family, it's about bringing your family. I can arrange you, for, I can arrange for you a place to stay, your accommodation, your food, transportation, I'll take care of that, everything. He said, "Nah, nah, no, you're good for it. best, let me go. Shabazz insisting, after a while, the best said, okay, it's your choice. But the, the way she was going about it, maybe the way I described it is not very accurate, but he was very caring, and the brother was, one narrated the story. He said he was very caring. I was just shocked. Because he comes from the other side. You guys want to talk about it. There are guys who are graves and all that. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Right? Okay. okay. Those guys who go to graves and stuff. So he doesn't even like the other side. He has a whole perception of the other side. These guys are strict. He's waiting for them. And then he all of a sudden he sees Sheik Mubaz. He, he goes back to this country, messes around, he comes back for Hajj years later, looks for Shem Baz and finds him, and he ends up changing in that Hajj. But just imagine somebody who goes through the tedious process of applying for a university, just to come to the Holy Lands, and all he does is he goes to the grave. He doesn't even care about the thousand Hajj in Medina. He didn't care about the Umrah station in Quba, Forget about even going to Mecca. He did not go to Mecca. He didn't go for Umrah. He didn't even see the Kaaba. He went for the grave. So here's the thing Are you allowed to just go and travel to the grave? No, you're not allowed. he says that there are only three three places that you can travel to. Three places that you can travel to. al and aqsa There's no other place that you could travel to. Everywhere else, you're not supposed to travel to. It's a tough hadith, right? That means all the sightseeing, all of this, not allowed. Uh, Prophets have clearly says three places. That, that you can only travel to. This is why it's very important to understand Hadith. Prophet is referring to three places you travel for the sake of worship. All right? You don't go to Las Vegas for sake of worship. All right? You definitely don't go there to sightsee. You know why you go there. All right? But you can only go to three places. You can't go to Karbala. Right? You can't go to some some grave in the middle of Central Africa. Alright? You can't do that. You can only go for the sake of what? Act of worship? You, you can only go three places. Everywhere else you go for tour, you know, as a tourist, whatever, that's alright. But in terms of as as an act of worship, no, you can't do that. So, to answer your question, that's another thing he got. He he mentioned this fatwa and he mentioned this hadith, they put him in prison. Ibn right? Taymiyyah was a great scholar, inshallah we we're going to have a whole lecture on it. That's just a little preview. Alright? Next month, sometime next month. Or a detailed lecture will talk about all seven times of why he was in prison and the whole drama and the debates and what happened after he died. It got worse after he died, brother. After he died, Ibn literally changed the world. And then 500 years after his death, it got even crazier, right? And in our motherland, all right, Ibintenia has a direct influence, right or wrong. Motherland, has a direct influence. Inshallah we'll discuss that uh, in our next lecture. Let's quickly finish number three, inshallah. Number three is very easy. Number three, the third pillar is all right, Asira, and Asira is referring to the to the way the contract is made. Is it verbal or is it written? Is it verbal or is it written? So for example, uh, verbal is, can I buy this? Yes, I buy it. And if it's written, you sign some paper, OK? OK, what about swipes? You swipe card. Put the chip in Is that verbal or is that written? Is it written. Is written? It's written. Okay. It's neither. It's neither verbal and written. And the voter rule is if their agreement is not verbal or written, the transaction is invalid. So, what about swipe? We'll talk about that, inshallah, next week. I don't know.